Please help me welcome J. Lauren Norris. As my dog jumped in my lap in the recliner, she nearly turned us over. She's about a 60-pound Irish doodle, curly, fluffy, all over the place, hair everywhere. Well, on her, I mean, we got a doodle because we don't like dogs that shed. But I realized she'd been out running the fence line. And along the back of our property, we have about 65 trees on our property. We have these little nettle grasper things. The little, the, they're not the stickers that like stick in the bottom of your foot and you think you stepped on a jack. No, it's it, it, just the little fluffy ones. And they get caught up in the fur on either side of her face. And you can't brush them out and you can't comb them out without ripping her face off. You have to pull the hair apart layer by layer and grab a hold of that little fluffy grasper and dispose of it. It's the only way to get them out of her hair. When you set the scene in a story properly, that story becomes just like that little grasper. I don't know if you know it or not, but the creator made that little grasper to travel like that because it's actually a seed. And your story, it has the power of being a seed. It has the power to travel like that. It has the power to have that kind of stickiness that once it gets in the presence of your audience, it doesn't get away so easily. And that's what I want to talk about in this episode of Leading Leaders. Stay tuned. I'm Jay Lauren Norris with Leading Leaders Podcast. Back when I was in high school drama and theater, we called it staging or blocking. It was that, how do you decide where someone stands on the stage? And before you could see it on the stage, you had to see it in your imagination. You had to understand that this person sitting down and the other one standing, it, it makes all the difference in the world. The movement from one place to another, the transition from one angle to another, how they appeared in that angle, how they positioned their body. It said everything about the, well, the movement and the character and the moment. And if you, if you got those tools right, well, then you could step in and out of a scene and, and change the way that you relate. And maybe it would see you in a better light or a harsher light. And it changes everything about the characters in a story when they change relationship to each other, where they stand in the story, where they sit in the story, where they speak from in the story, who they're talking to and what they're talking about, what they were wearing and, and the kind of demeanor that they carry. And in the way that a picture is worth a thousand words, that emotional moment is worth a thousand words, that, that revelation, that dawning of awareness, you don't have to have a Harry Potter kind of an answer when you can set that scene in such a way. With an opening line like, my dog jumped in my lap while I was sitting in my recliner and she nearly turned us both over. Well, you've already got a really good picture that I have a lap-friendly dog, a big dog, big enough to turn over the recliner, and you have an idea, just a notion that I'm probably relaxing when she shows up. And that usually means if you've ever been relaxing and had a dog suddenly appear in your lap, uh, this, it's a bit abrupt. It's a bit of a change. But see, that, that moment 
doesn't take 45 minutes to explain. I, in writing a book, I might have to describe the fireplace that I was staring into, the thoughts that were going on in my head, the all of the goings on around me. But in a story, when I've only got two minutes or so to carry the idea that I really want to carry, I can set that scene in a couple of words if I, if I do it well, if I'm efficient about it. And I'll tell you what happens with a lot of people when they're telling stories is that they don't set the scene in a way that feel like you can relate as an audience member. You might, you might hear the story and think to yourself, well, that's great, but I don't know how to relate to that. I've never, I've never been there. If I spent 15 minutes telling you how wonderful the caviar was next to the poolside and my my housekeeper was bringing all of the wonderful crumpets and tea and jellies and jams and fresh eggs and you might look at it and go, okay, but that's a wonderful thing, but I can't relate to that story. That's, that's not my life. At the same time, if I said, I was sitting there in a boat, my feet hanging out in that gator about nearly took my legs off. Well, it may have set a scene, but again, perhaps not one that you're familiar with. I, I, I know people, I have friends who would say, don't talk to me about guns. I, I don't want to know anything about guns. I don't want to be anywhere near guns. I don't want to be near anybody who thinks that guns are a good thing. I think everybody should have to give them up. And I also have friends that own hundreds of, well, except the ones that fell in the bottom of the lake on a fishing accident. But they own hundreds of different styles of weapons, and they love to eat critters that most would consider nature to observe. And if you don't know your audience well enough, if you haven't done your homework on who you're talking to, either just in that first 30 seconds of observation, or in the background research you did before you got into the room or onto the podcast or into the interview, if you haven't done your homework enough to know who your audience is, you might try to set a scene, including words, visuals, understandings that are flat out offensive. I mean, we, we know the words that are likely to offend, words of racism and sexism and genderisms. If you're not careful with those kind of words, you offend people and they will, they will cry. They will yell at you. They will throw things at you. They will hold up signs in your face and block your cameras. They will sue you. They will cancel you because you offended them, because their emotions are the most important part. Now, if for one second you think, well, it's my story and I'm going to tell it the way that I lived it, that I experienced it, there's a lot of merit to that because the value of your experience, the, the lesson you learn, well, that's the whole reason you're telling the story. But if you think for one second that you can do that and simply call it authenticity, knowing that it hurt somebody else's feelings, that it offended them, that it pushed them over the edge, that it triggered them, then you don't understand the economy of relationships. And in the economy of a relationship, you've got to be as considerate of other people's opinions, of your experience, as you are of your own. You've got to wonder, if I said it like this, 
And sometimes, honestly, it's just adding or taking away a word. It's setting a scene. If I said, I was sitting on the tailgate of my pickup truck, had my shotgun in hand, waiting for another hog to run by. There are a whole lot of people in the world that I lived in in the past and the world that I live in now that would say, I remember a moment just like that. And if I went on with that story to say my dog jumped in my lap or jumped up beside me and had those grass burrs all stuck up in her face, they'd be like, yep, that happens all the time, especially them long-haired dogs, right? They get it. They've been there. They know exactly what I'm talking about. And it's a whole different group of people who would resonate with sitting in your recliner, staring into the fireplace with deep thoughts running through your head. Now, in my life, I have to admit both moments are true, right? I live in Texas. Those grass burrs are everywhere, especially the little green ones that get under the green briars. You've never been attacked by a green briar or a, or a bull nettle? Ooh, that, that's a bad thing. You get those little, little stickers in the lining of your pants or the laces of your shoes or the laces of your hiking boots. You could spend hours trying to get your boots on and off again. It's a bad, bad thing. I've had dogs that went out with us when we went quail hunting that well, they come back covered in those things. But I do have a dog right now who's an Irish doodle who loves to sit in my lap. When I sit in the recliner, if I'm leaned back too far, she is going to turn us over. Because she likes the flat spot, whether that's my lap or it's my chest. She doesn't care. As long as she can get her face next to my face, she's a happy camper. That's what she lives for. But see how, see the difference in the audience resonance between the two scenes? Both are about me and my dog. Both are about that endearing moment of the dog wanting to cuddle. But on the tailgate of the truck or walking through the woods or jumping in my lap in the recliner, those are different scenes. They appeal to different people. They set a scene where the imagination goes to that place. And if you've ever been there, then it resonates with you. And if not, at least it's enough of a scene to hold on in your imagination. And now the story about the grasper as an analogy to the stickiness of your story. You know, those seeds are made to stick in the, in the dog's face or on the legs of a bird or in the fur of a rabbit. They're designed that way to spread the seed. So the seed goes further, so that it travels. A well-told well well story has the same ability to travel. It gets caught up in the mind, the will, and the emotions, the memory. It stays with somebody. And chances are, you've heard someone say, I don't recall who it was. I don't remember all the details in the story, but I remember they said blah, 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 blah. And if you're honest with yourself, the fact that they recalled enough of that story just to give you the blah, blah, blah part, it's kind of fascinating to you because you think, well, I wish I, I, wish I knew who told the whole story so I could hear it from the horse's mouth, so to speak. So I could hear the whole story and, and all the details and all the, the good parts, the juicy stuff. But the fact that blah, blah, blah stayed with them, the point of the story, the moral of the story, the problem and solution combination of the story, the fact that that alone made it from the original storyteller through an audience member to become a storyteller of the same story, that's what you want as a communicator. You want that illustration, that metaphor, to travel. 
You want it to go somewhere with somebody else. And there's something else with, that comes along with that, that setting of the scene. Just like the movement of the characters, one sitting, one standing, one kneeling, one bowing, one walking tall and erect with their head held high and their voice booming and their ideas Fort Worth. They know exactly what they want. Fort Worth. Now, Fort forthright. That's the word I was looking for. Forthright. The forthrightness of declaration. You've got to be able to, to portray that. And when you're the only storyteller and you don't have a whole stage full of people and, and you don't have one to walk in with a cowboy hat in his hand to show that he's a gentleman, the thousand words that come from the proper gentleman taking his hat off and bowing his head to a lady or to a stranger, that's a thousand words of explanation. If you understand that culture at all or you've ever seen that, you recognize that's a true gentleman. Versus the one that walks in with his ball cap backwards or sideways, spits in the, patoon, in the spittoon and, and carries on his way and doesn't care what anybody thinks of him. And those characters don't have to speak words. Their presence, their demeanor, their way of carrying on says everything that you need to know about them. I walked in the room and she sat really quiet in the corner. I mean, nobody noticed her until she stood up to speak, and then the entire room fell silent. All of a sudden, you want to know what she said. It took me less than 20 seconds to deliver that scene-setting moment for you to realize in a room full of people, nobody had noticed her until she started to talk. And when she started to talk, what she said, or her look, or her presentation, or her presence, commanded attention. See, the, the minute that scene is set, you, you want to know what's next. What did she say that was so profound? Why was everyone listening? Was it her rank? Was it her position? I mean, maybe it was the Queen of England who had that moment. Maybe it was the 10-year-old in a room full of grown adults. Maybe it was the, the old lady, the grandma, the patriarch, the matriarch. Maybe that's why... When she began to speak, everyone listened. And see, within a matter of 20 seconds or so, I can set a scene in such a way that, that you feel like you were there when it happened. Even though I didn't describe the color of the table linens or the skirt she was wearing or the hat on her head or the age of the chair that she sat in almost being the same as hers, I can go into all those details, but they don't add to the story. They might be great embellishments. They might be solid word picture techniques, but... If they don't add to the value of the story, why give them time? Sure, if, if your objective is to create a, an 800-page novel, then rock on with your bad self and all your details. Tell us how many studded buttons were in the leather around the edge of the chair with the beaded tapestry. I, uh, frankly, I don't care, right? The upholstery of the chair means little to me in the grand scheme of things, unless that's what she stood up to talk about. See, a lot of people get caught up in the details. And in fact, what will happen is as they're trying to tell the story, they'll, they'll backtrack a little bit and they'll realize, well, I told you she was sitting in the corner, but I didn't tell you she was sitting in a chair almost as old as her. Okay, if you missed it in telling me, you don't have to waste the time to back up and explain it again because I don't care. I, what I really want to know is why did the room go silent and what did she say next? If, if the chair had something to do with that, 
Okay, you probably should have remembered that as a priority in the beginning of your story. And if the chair has nothing to do with that, not only are you wasting the time to tell me about it, you're wasting the time to go back and tell me an irrelevant fact. You'd be amazed how many people do that. And part of the reason they do it, it's a little insider tip for you, part of the reason they do it is because they're still trying to recall the scene enough to say it. They're, they're picturing in their mind. And, and when you see them do that, you'll probably see their eyes go up. Studied neurolinguistic programming. They're, they're fishing for something. They're, they're, they're looking for something in their imagination, in their, in their memory. They're trying to put the two together their imagination and their memory. They're, they're trying to recall. And simultaneously, their subconscious brain is running about 10,000 miles an hour faster and saying, well, does it matter? And, and what color was it? And as I'm thinking about it, was it, was it blue or was it gold? Was it, was it gray? I think it was a kind of a blue-gray color, but the, but the wood was kind of a cherry color. And, and the audience is going, I don't care, 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 I don't care. I, why did she stand up? What did she say that made the room fall silent? Who is she that they care that she talks? That's what the audience is asking in their conscious and subconscious minds, not how many staples or how many nails are in the in the upholstery of the chair, but why do I care about the chair? And all of these factors and details and aspects of your story, that can either become enhancements that save you a thousand words, or they can become stumbling blocks. They can lead people astray. You can use the power of setting the scene to allow people to move into the moment with you, either to recall it and go, I've been there. If I simply said, I was at Golden Corral the other day and I watched a guy put his steak in the chocolate fountain. I don't have to go to a whole lot of description of where the chocolate fountain was in the, in the island and, and where he got the steak and stood in line to get the grill or, or anything like that. If, if I simply said Golden Corral, most people have a picture of a Golden Corral in their head. They've been in one at least once in their life. Smart people only once in their life, but they've been in a Golden Corral once in their life and they've, they've watched somebody take something off the buffet and put it on their plate and walk over to the chocolate fountain, stick it in the chocolate fountain. And you're thinking... I don't think I'd put chocolate on that. Life decisions. That's what we're talking about, making good life decisions. It's like the guy who grabs the broccoli and then bathes it in cheese soup. What good is the broccoli when it's got all that dairy on it? I mean, you're eating the broccoli to get skinny. You're eating the cheese soup to get fat. What, that kind of cancels each other out, doesn't it? You might as well just put, put the broccoli in the chocolate fountain and skip all the process. But if you've got that scene in your head already, if you've already been there, if you've already been to the Golden Corral, I painted a picture that you can see right off the top of your head. Now, if I paint the scene of sitting in my recliner, staring at the fireplace, and out of the corner of my eye watching the snowfall, you don't have to see my fireplace or the windows that I watch the snow through. You don't have to imagine what time of year it is. I don't have to tell you any of those details. I don't have to tell you anything else, anything else that was going on in the house. When the dog jumped in my lap and I felt those scratchy little grass burrs in her face, I knew we were going to have to spend the next half hour getting rid of those things. 
that's all the story I have to tell about that. But I've painted a scene that you can recall. And if you've ever had a dog jump in your lap while you're watching the fireplace and watching the snow at the same time, then you kind of get it. And you, you probably don't remember my recliner. I haven't even told you what color it is or where it sits in the room because you don't care. You probably saw your recliner. And you probably didn't see my fireplace because I didn't describe it to you, but you saw your fireplace. And you probably remember the last time you watched the fireplace and saw the snow falling out the corner of your eye. And it took you back to a place, took you back to a moment, a common moment that, that many of us have shared. Now, if you grew up in Manhattan and your dog doesn't jump in your lap and you don't have a recliner and your apartment doesn't have a fireplace, maybe you've never been able to relate to that story, but at least you have enough of an imagination from the scene that I've set that you could picture it for yourself even if it's made up. But all the other detail, the chair, the, the color of the recliner, the, the type of floor, the rug or no rug, the lights or no lights, the candles that are burning, the fireplace glow, the heat of the fire, irrelevant. All of it's irrelevant to the story. Why? Because the point of the story I was telling you is that those seeds, they're designed by the creator to travel. They're designed to have stickiness, that once they get in a place, they stay there until they get to where they're going in the tail of a rabbit or the foot of a deer or the backside of a buffalo. Once they get attached, they don't let loose until they're transplanted someplace else to bear fruit in a new place. That's your story told well. That's your story when you set the scene and allow people to live in that moment with you. It doesn't have to be a big scene. A well-set scene could be said in 20 seconds and save you a thousand words. Take the time as a storyteller to see that scene in your head. If you have to, draw it out, write it out. Look for all the things in the scene that are relevant, germane to the story. Cut out all the ones that they don't advance the story. They may, they may be words that with five or six words, become worth a thousand words. He was tall. He was dominating. He was frightful. And as he walked out the door, no one noticed. Okay, why did you tell me about him? Well, he didn't really have anything to do with the story, but he was a big dude. Great. Again, why did you tell me? Those are the kinds of questions you should be asking yourself as you evaluate your own stories as you rehearse your own stories. And the best story in the world told poorly is an ineffective story. That's why I challenge my clients. I challenge the speakers that I train and audit. Tell better stories. Choose the right story for the audience in front of you. Choose a story that has the stickiness, that, that stays in your whiskers for a minute, that travels with you, that gets retold by somebody else. Choose that story. Tell a better story and tell it better. Rehearse it, practice it, go over it in your head. Tell yourself, tell it to yourself while you're walking around the block with your puppy. Tell it to yourself while you're washing the dishes or folding the laundry. These are things you have to do. You don't have to be bored or listening to a podcast while you do them. You could be telling yourself the stories that you're going to rehearse to use for other things, for job interviews, for someone you meet on the street, for a speech that you have to give. That's why I teach people to tell better stories better. If you need help with that, go to Story Power Masterclass and 
Get yourself signed up for a class or at least for some one-on-one coaching. I'm Jay Lauren Norris with Leading Leaders Podcast for Tell It Like It Is TV. Have a blessed Lauren day. is a master teacher on storytelling, and I learned so much. Um, I'm really going to have to sit down and go back through everything, and I think I might have to have some more coffees with Lauren, but uh, it was totally worth my time, and I really highly recommend it if you're looking to grow your ministry, grow your business, uh, grow your career. Uh, Lauren will serve you well. Subscribe now for our extensive video library of leadership lessons promoting faith, family, and freedom.